The Culture Pop Podcast is brought to you by the law offices of Jacob Imrani. Accident or injury, call Jacob Imrani, call Jacob. Hey, it's Mace. If you or a friend or loved one is injured in an accident, the first person you should call is my friend Jacob. When I did this, Jacob was great. He helped me by talking through the next steps, which really put my mind at ease. When you're injured in an accident, you got to have an expert. That's why you call Jacob, just like I did. Call Jacob, 844-24-JACOB. That's 844-24-JACOB. Or visit calljacob.com. Call Jacob. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Culture Pop Podcast. I'm Steve Mason, along with Sue Blue, Sue Kalinsky. Sue, how you doing today? I'm doing very well, and I see you are very festive with your shirt. Yes, these are the uh, Sunday Swagger shirts that I love. I've got all kinds of them, uh, different uh, patterns and colors. I've got one with... I actually wore one. I went to the track at Del Mar over the weekend, and I wore one with flamingos all wearing inner tubes. Uh, it's a really, really cool shirt. So yeah, this is the brand is Sunday Swagger. Love those guys. They do a great job. So got cool. a really cool guest today. Great movie called Jules. And the director of the film, Mark Turtletob, is going to be here in just a minute. I want to remind everybody, you know, we're continuing to grow the show. Thank you very much for being there. We love you guys, uh, our diehards, our hardcores. We love you. Uh, and the one way that you can help us to grow the show is to uh, to go to give us a five-star review on Apple or Spotify, uh, to go to our YouTube channel, uh, search Culture Pop Podcast, and leave a comment there, leave a comment, Spotify, Apple, and then send us an email, maceandsue at gmail.com. And we have, if you do this, we've got these really super cool Culture Pop Podcast t-shirts, and we will send you one. Make sure you send your address, maceandsue at gmail.com. So, Sue, before we get to Mark, what, what's going on? Huh? What well, are you well, going well, on? I, I, well, I was going to say, get them while they're hot. Exactly. Um, Now's the time. So, you're a guy that likes lists. You're a guy that likes, you know, what percentage of this or that. Sure. So, I was thinking, what... I was I was online and I and I was thinking, yeah, what can I come up with for for today? Yeah, yeah. So I searched top ten people searched on Google in twenty twenty three. So far, who are the so top, far? Who are the year. top ten people? Would it's I know everybody one. by name? You know everybody by name except for one person. Okay. I believe. All right. Um, so think <laughs> think some sports stuff. Okay, so and, and some, uh, Aaron Rodgers. No. Oh, really? I thought for sure Aaron Rodgers would be there. It's a tough one. Sports stuff. Uh, a U.S. Sport, women's. A, a, yeah, a sport that you don't really probably watch that U.S. much. U.S. women's national team in soccer? Uh, not women. Men's soccer. Lionel Messi. He's number one. Yeah, he just went to Inter-Miami. In fact, he plays uh, tonight. What sucks about it is, so MLS rights are held by Apple, but in order to watch the matches, you've got to sign up for Apple, which I have, but then you've got to double pay. You've got to pay a separate subscription uh, once you're inside Apple to get the MLS games. It's like you're paying twice to get the same friggin' games. Now that you you brought this up, 
I am so sick of paying on top of paying. Yeah. That happens a lot of times with Amazon. I pay for Amazon, Amazon Prime. Yeah, yeah. Yet there are times where I have to pay extra money to see a movie or a show. Well, not if, oh, I see what you're saying. In other words, like they rent the movie for two ninety nine, something like that. Yeah, but I already pay for the service. Right. So it's kind of like I pay for HBO. Yeah. I don't pay extra to watch a movie on HBO. Yeah, or, you're right. Or, or a TV series on HBO. Yeah, I'm paying all this money for Prime. What's up? Yeah, I shouldn't be paying for movies on top right. of that. I think it's a really fair point. Uh, all right, back to this subject. I'm trying to think who else... Who else would uh, be musicians? Musicians. Um, uh, let's it's, see. It's a really weird top ten. Okay. Well then, <laughs> uh, most searched. Uh, but, but Taylor Swift. Of, Taylor Swift. Yes, she's number two. Okay, there you go. So I've got number one and number two. Yes. Uh, let's see. Anybody else in music? Uh, yes. Yes. Okay. I will guess. Bad Bunny. No, it's really odd who the two other musicians are. Yes. Shockingly odd. Shockingly odd. That they would be the top searches this year. You got me. I don't know. Okay. Okay. So number three is Ronaldo. Oh, sure. Okay. Okay. Chris Paul. I wonder why Chris Paul. Well, I was thinking that too. Like what is in the news with Chris Paul? Well, he, he got traded to Golden State. Oh, well, that's big. From Phoenix to Golden State. So that's probably part of it. He's going to, you know, an established superpower in the Western Conference. So I guess that's probably why Chris Paul would be there. Okay. Share. Do you believe in another guy that's 25 years old? I I, I don't know. Why would share be searched a lot this year? I've not heard any share news. There (laughs) have been no. There's been, been no sharing about share. Yeah, there's been no sharing. Um, Putin. Oh, well, okay. So yeah, you attack a sovereign nation. Yes. Okay. Get you're going to get, you're gonna get hits. <laughs> yeah. He's a fucker. I, <laughs> he should I get can't, hit. Can't basically. wait for him to lose. Right. Um, uh, Elon Musk. Okay. Elon Musk. I totally get it. He's constantly changing the rules of Twitter, which is now X. So you don't send tweets anymore. You send, I guess you send X's. You I don't send know. X's? Yeah. Send Just- a... This it's so it's so negative. It is. It's so weird. X. And it's a big black X. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it like, is. It is. I, I don't know. I for me, I still it'll always be little bluebirds for me. I know. I know. Yeah. Uh The Rock. Okay. Yeah, I mean the Rock is the Rock. He he started WWF or uh no, I he started uh XFL this year. So okay. maybe that is something to do with he hasn't had a movie. So yeah, that must be XFL. Could be. And YNW Melly. Yeah, YNW so, Melly. Do you know okay. who that is? I have no idea who this guy is. Me either. <laughs> There's been other Mellies. <laughs> Melly Mel. <laughs> yeah. I, <don't> know. <laughs> I was you, thinking, no, there was Nelly, but there was Melly Mel. YM? I did. He's some rap guy. Oh, Young a rapper. Rap, rap, okay. Yeah, he's a rap guy. Sounds right. Sounds right. All right. So this one, well, I have another list too. Which By the is, way, YM Melly was on the tip of my tongue. Yeah, right. I was just about to say it. <laughs> Tip of someone else's tongue, I'll tell you. <laughs> um, so then I had top Google searches. Okay. This year. So think of where you, where people go to search for things. 
We're okay. So, so it's a subject. It's a subject, but it's not, it's, it's, is it it's, that submersible thing that went down? Cause I would no, imagine no, no, that no, was no, no. I looked no. up, I looked up subjects and, and, and they, they didn't do it that way. Okay. It's, it's, it's what you would do to search for something. But then, but then it's mixed in with some very, very odd stuff. So think of in your, in your, in, in, in your, in the, in your daily day. Right. Where do you go to look up things? Uh, well, the internet. Right. But where do you go? Where on one? Of- well, so, yeah. Well, Google Translate. I don't yeah. know what it's all right. Oh, so Google go- Translate is where you. Uh, you can choose another language and you can type in English yes. and it'll tell you what, yeah, that's a, that's a okay, useful So feature. judges, do, do we give them Google translate? <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> okay. Um, we're, we're actually on one of the searches. Zoom. No, no, we, our show is. Our show is on. Uh, it, new, Apple. We're new. We're newly YouTube, on something. YouTube, 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 YouTube was number one. Yeah. Um, By the way, number one social media platform there is bigger than Twitter X, bigger than Facebook, Instagram, all this. You just said the other one. Facebook. <laughs> Facebook is number yeah, two. Yeah. You're not going to believe what's number three. Uh, you're never going to, you're never going to guess it. Pornhub. It is. <laughs> Pornhub is number three. Yeah, it's probably my number three, too. (laughs) Yeah, so you've told us. Um, uh, I'm just going to go through them. Yeah, do it. All right, the weather. Okay, sure, sure. Amazon. Right. Just regular translate. Okay. X videos. Uh, That is also in the family of Pornhub. Pornhub. Yeah, it's in the Pornhub family of networks. Okay, so a lot of sex in the top ten. Yep. Gmail. Oh, sure. Gmail. We're on uh, Mason Sue at gmail.com. Okay. And the WhatsApp web. Okay. WhatsApp. I don't use WhatsApp. A lot of international folks use WhatsApp and it's a thing. Okay. All right. I like that. I like that. Cool. So, uh, yeah, Pornhub. First thing that popped <laughs> into my head. Now, are you monitored if you're on Pornhub? Monitored by who? I don't know, like looking at, looking at, no, well, just looking at porn. I mean, uh, I'm sure there is, there is monitoring. I don't know who's keeping track of this. Every guy I know watches porn. Oh, I don't think Tom does. Oh, Tom watches porn. I'll Your find husband out. would definitely watch his porn. Well, I'll find out after the show. Yeah. Yeah. Find out. Find out. Um, all right. On that note. Our guest today is a producer and a director. I'm telling you, your husband watches porn. <laughs> uh, as a producer, he has made films like Little Miss Sunshine, Safety Not Guaranteed, White Fang, and The Farewell. As a director, his work includes God's Behaving Badly and Puzzle. He is both producer and director on his latest film, Jewels, which will be in theaters on Friday, August 11th. Mark Turtletob joins us. Mark, thank you very much for doing this. My pleasure. So you've had an amazing career as a producer, but this is your third time directing, I think. What about this film made it one that you wanted to direct? Well, it's always for me, Steve, about the screenplay. I got this screenplay uh, a few years ago. We had a delay of a year because of COVID. 
and it had all of these diverse elements that usually don't go together in a film. You have, you know, real pathos, emotion around uh, a man who's starting to lose some faculties in uh, in the main character, Milton. And usually those are heavy and melancholic movies, but this wasn't. Uh, it's got that. And then it's got this ridiculous humor, uh, which you, you now have seen and know, uh, which is not only funny, but wildly inventive. It's got a uh, it's got a buddy element, if you will, in these three uh, characters of Sandy, Joyce, and Milton finding friendship, uh, where they had all been sort of isolated. Uh, it's got a, a a genre, a bit of a genre science fiction element, and those things don't usually go together. And so when I read it, I went, okay, it's about something that's meaningful. It makes me laugh. It makes me feel, uh, and I won't see another movie like this. Uh, and so my first question was, can I do it? <laughs> and then when I said I need to try, I knew that this was the, the right project for me. You know, just reading what the movie is, for me, it's it doesn't sound like the kind of movie that I would gravitate towards, you know? Right, right. But it was really sweet, and the inventive is key. And you know what it really reminded me of? It reminded me of like a folksy Stranger Things, that mm. TV series. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. You know, everybody sees something different in it, too. Uh, I had, uh, I did an interview last week in LA and, uh, and they were talking about, oh, it feels a little bit like, uh, like Cocoon. Remember that old? Sure. Movie? Sure. Mm -hmm feels a little bit like cocoon and someone else says yeah but it's got a little touch of the father which is much more dramatic in it yeah and it's got uh and then of course et references and so people see different things in it uh but uh i'm glad you responded you know you've had such a you've got such a great cast in this movie ben kingsley and jane Curtin and harriet sanson harris and it's a movie about older people it's a movie about seniors and yep there's a spaceship and yep there's an alien but it's really a movie about people connecting more than anything else. These characters are connecting with each other and probably more importantly, they're connecting with a purpose, right? Yeah. I think that's really well said, Steve. And, you know, it's, it's interesting because we screened it the very first time that we screened it in front of an audience, we finished the film. Uh, and so it was a little late to, to be testing it, but we wanted to see how an audience would respond to it. And interestingly enough, People between 18 and 30 responded equally enthusiastically as the people over 30 and over 50. Uh, and so we were quite pleased that it seems to speak to, to all generations. So I was I read an article where the author, Marie Phillips, who uh, wrote the book God's Behaving Badly, which you made into a film, um, she describes you as your style of directing is uh, radical and unique. And the fact that you don't do, you don't do rehearsals and you only do a few takes. What was that always the way you directed was, did you have a situation where you did do rehearsals and you didn't like the outcome? What, 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 what has made you be that type of director? 
Yeah, it's a great question. So I, I did in the beginning, I did a few short films. For me, short was 30 minutes. So I, I, you know, I really, they were long shorts. Uh, <laughs> and I was very specific and particular with the actors in giving them uh, direction and in rehearsing. Uh, and it was one way of doing it. And then I felt like because I had done some some work with some directing coaches and, and that was sort of their way of doing things. And then it just dawned on me that that wasn't my style, that if you're working with great actors and I got in the last few films to work with some amazing actors that you let them, as I would put it in Sue, they let them bring in what they're going to bring in. And not mediate it, not tell them, oh, can we, uh, okay, now in this scene, I'd like you to be really, you know, really angry at her. Let them interpret it themselves. Let them bring the character in themselves and then see what they might do. It might completely be different than what you expected and way better. And that's what I discovered is by not rehearsing, you allow these great actors to interpret it in their own way. And then later you can always say, hey, can we try this or that? And so it's something that I just intuitively found on my own. You know, is there's it, a, I, Oh, go ahead, Sue. I just didn't want to do a quick follow up on that. Yeah. So is it, do you encourage actors to get together outside of, of shooting and hang out with one another? Um, you know, develop their, their own, you know, personal backstories as far as they want to go. Cause I, I, I I've done some acting in, in my career and, I, I've had moments where, yeah, we, I would hang out with the other actors and we were, we were supposed to be married and we came up with some backstories for our relationship and, and things that kind of made our relationship what our relationship became. Is that something that as a director you've encouraged or how, how does that work? I neither encouraged it or discouraged it. Uh, because there are some movies where two characters are not supposed to like each other. And you could say, I suppose, don't hang out with each other. Don't talk to each other. But they're actors, right? They get it. You know, they, they get it. It's a role. It's not their life. Now, some people will intentionally not want to be around someone else or want to be around them to try to create or not create a connection. I leave that to the actors. I'm working with consummate professionals I remember seeing Kelly McDonald in my last film before this, and she's playing this very specific uh, sort of, uh, I wouldn't say browbeaten, but just playing her role as a mother and wife in a very small way and in a very American movie. And it's an emotional scene, and she walks off the set, and all of a sudden, her uh, her natural Scottish accent comes out, and she's laughing. and. Uh, it was just a great reminder for me is, okay, <laughs> they're actors, they have their own process and let it occur. And sometimes that would mean that uh, that some of the actors would spend more time together. I noticed, for example, that Jane and Harriet spent a lot of time uh, on the set, just hanging out together. And it just occurred naturally. So, you know, one of the things about this story is that I think Jane Curtin at one point says his eyes are so understanding Um, and he becomes sort of this vessel that everybody can tell their their story to. They can share their their innermost thoughts. And, you know, it makes me think we, we don't do a very good job of listening to each other. I mean, we live in a world where 
you can say at the grocery store, there's an alien in my backyard and people will just glaze right over that. It's, it's about the listening. And that's what this alien winds up being as sort of a sounding board for these guys' lives. Yeah, that's spot on, Steve. You called it a vessel. I'd call it a catalyst. It's the same thing. And that is uh, that character gives a un, uh, unfiltered listening. She's not thinking about what she's going to say next. She's not in her mind. You don't see that, you know, see anything other than complete presence. And that's what we all want in a good listener, right? That's what we want in our friends, that they can really hear us and feel us. And she does that, which then enables them to begin to do that with each other, with one another. And that's the beauty of the story. You brought up Kelly McDonald. Um, I watched the puzzle last night. I don't know how it never came on my radar, but what an amazing, amazing film. So this was something that was this, you made this film after seeing it. It was, it was a French film. Is that what it was originally? Argentine, that one. Argentine. No, Argentine. No, I, okay. I never watched, I never watched that movie until, it, until my movie was done. I didn't want to have my filter. Uh, uh, I didn't want to have a filter when I, when I made my movies. So you talk about Kelly McDonald. I mean, she has this uncanny ability to be a strong woman, but she also, it's kind of with like a childlike innocence. It's just such a remarkable quality. And she, the film, I mean, t talk to me about why you chose this film. Which one? The puzzle. Well, I'll come, I'll come back to, to Jules in a moment, but I, I chose it again because of writing. I, I pick my stories because the writing is great. Uh, and, uh, and then I look for stories of transformation. And in puzzle, it was a story of a 40 something year old woman, uh, coming of age, if you will. And in Jules, it's the story of an older 70 something year old man finding meaning and friendship later in life. So I'm always looking for that thread, Sue, of meaning and purpose in the story and transformation, ideally. And then if you get a great actor like a Kelly McDonald or like a Ben Kingsley, you're, you know, you got a great leg up. And the other thing I look for is I look for stories that I haven't seen before where it's one of a kind. And in both instances, I felt that I, I was not drawn to doing puzzles. <laughs> I wasn't drawn to competition of puzzles. I wasn't drawn to necessarily science fiction. I was drawn to these stories that were so beautifully written about people opening up and transforming. So you've got such a unique background, like, frankly, like nobody we've ever had on the show before. You come from... Uh, a family, your, your family business was, uh, was the money store, which was a gigantic corporation, which you ultimately up sell, ultimately ended up selling. Um, tell me about, did you always know that movies were where your life was going to lead you? You know, Steve, I, I early on, uh, felt like I was a, I would create something. I was a, I was an artist, I think, uh, in, uh, in sheep's clothing. Uh, and, uh, that, so for, after I got out of school, I was a journalist for about six years 
and I wrote. And then life, trans, you know, things happen in your life. And I went into uh, being the only child of a of a of a family that was lower middle class and had created a successful business. I ended up going in and taking it over, uh, and I did that for a number of years. But I think underneath, I always knew that I would go back someday and probably write. And so I came back uh, as I came back after I was fortunate enough to uh, to have that opportunity years later. And I thought about just writing and I thought about movies. I'd always loved movies since I was a kid. I used to go from suburban New Jersey into New York and watch the foreign films uh, and and see Bergman and see, mm. you know, see all these wonderful independent films, American films. And and uh, and I always loved it. So I felt like when I when I had the opportunity after uh, getting out of the business world that I wanted to be creative, and I thought it uh, a natural place to start as a business person at that point was producing. And as I've continued to grow and learn, it's gone into directing. So I think it was always it was always incipient. It was always lying there. Uh, sort of inside, waiting, waiting to come out. So what's the first move you made when you decided to um, actually become a filmmaker? Because I guess at, at that point, you you had already sold your company, right? Yeah, the first, first one I directed or first one I, I produced? You produced. Hmm, I think it was a tiny movie called Dwayne Hopwood, which you probably, no one, not many people saw, but it was a lovely little movie with uh, Janine Garofalo. Mm -hmm. uh, David Schwimmer, uh, and uh, it was a sweet, you know, under million dollar movie. I made my, I, I, my learnings were all small. And then uh, I think the second one might have been Sherry Baby, which starred Maggie Gyllenhaal in one of, in my mind, one of her greatest performances. Yes, uh, and uh, those were uh, two of the first, and then uh the first uh, one that I made once I formed my own real company was the first script that i bought was uh with excitement was little miss sunshine yeah so little miss sunshine gotta thank you i owned a a struggling 10 screen movie theater out in palm spring actually with uh no with way. brian cranston yeah um no and and little miss sunshine played for five solid months we did a q a with jonathan dayton and valerie ferris it was gigantic for us literally helped us keep the the doors open um, and it's a special movie. It's a really special movie. Won an Academy Award, obviously. Um, and you were nominated. Um, at what point in the process did you think, okay, I, this, this one's different. This one's special. The first one, did you have a theater with Brian Cranston? I did. You? Yes. Well, Cranston stole a role from me. So I'm very, I, I, I'm not happy about him. <laughs> uh, I, read for, I read for the role that, because uh, I was acting a little bit in those days, really little bit. Uh, and I read for the role that he got in Little Miss Sunshine. And instead, I became uh, the infamous doctor number one. Oh, there you go. <laughs> which, of course, of course, I'm sure you remember turning the movie turning on my performance. Uh, but uh I was reading what happened was I was not living in LA, but I opened an office in LA when I started and I would come down and spend, uh, four nights a week down in LA because my, 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 my sons, my family was up, were up in Sacramento. And so I'd come down and I would read, uh, looking for that first really great screenplay. 
And I was reading about 200 or 250 scripts a year. Wow. And it got to the point where, you know, I just, I saw so much. And after two years, I, uh, looking for a, a movie that I would, that we would throw our resources behind. And after two years, I, uh, I read that screenplay and I finished it at like one in the morning and I wrote on it, this is the one. Hmm. And it had been turned down by every studio in town. And so I, you know, we're just trusting my gut. I felt like that was the, that was the, the movie that I, that I, we needed to make. Let me, let me ask one follow up to that, Sue. Sure. So then, then sure. you go through the entire awards season, you get to Oscar. What was, what was Oscar night like for you? It was lovely. I, I had both of my sons there, so they really got to enjoy it. And, you know, they kept saying, Oh, look, look at, you know, they were, you know, late teens, I think, or early, yeah, late teens. And they were just, you know, got, you know, big eyed around everything that was happening. Uh, and we, I think Michael Arndt won for best screenplay and Alan Arkin, who just left us, uh, won for supporting actor and we were nominated for four. So it was a really heady experience and and a lovely experience. So what is it like working with a first-time director, and there was a husband and wife team, and a first-time screenplay writer? Um, what what's the pressure with a with a producer when it comes to to that? Well, John and Val, who directed Little Miss Sunshine, were may have been first-time directors, but they had been doing so many commercials before that. And a number of people, a number of studios uh, wanted to get them uh, to direct a feature. So it wasn't like we had this, took this wild risk. We knew they could, we, we knew they could tell a story. And they were so uh, enthusiastic about it that uh, I set the movie up. Uh, we set the movie up at a studio. Uh, they optioned it after we got, after we got, uh, Val and John attached. We set it up at a studio with a small option fee. And then it took five years and we had to buy it back. And they stayed with the film for the entire five years. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, you have a, a movie that I really loved called Safety Not Guaranteed. Uh, which uh, starts with an ad in a magazine. I remember about time traveling. Um, and I love this as a premise. Your screenwriter, Derek Connolly, turned the ad into a, a movie. You had Aubrey Plaza, you had Mark Duplass. Uh, I couldn't ask for a better duo there. Uh, the budget was less than a million dollars. Now, yep. how were you able to pull that off, make that movie on the proverbial shoestring budget? Uh, you know, it's... it's uh... It was, it's most of our movies at, at Big Beach have been character driven movies. And so there's not a lot of big visual effects. There's not a lot of things that, and so really your biggest cost often are the actors. And if the actors are in love with the material, I learned this early on, just as producers and directors, if we all love the material, then you're willing to do it for far less than your quote, if you will. And so we had actors that were in love with the material and the only big visual effect happens at the end. And we added that on after the movie was done where the ship sort of transforms. Uh, That all happened at the end after in post-production. You you were quoted. Oh, um, go ahead. Go ahead, Steve. I was going to ask about the, uh, the farewell. Uh, which is the first time I ever saw Aquafina. By the way, your IMDb page is 
tremendous. <laughs> I've, I love so many of these movies oh, uh, that, you. that you've been part of. And, you know, uh, Farewell is partly in English and partly in Mandarin. It's pretty groundbreaking. This is before Crazy Rich Asians. This is uh, before Everything Everywhere All at Once in terms of Asian representation in film. And you're working with a, a woman, writer, director, Lulu Wang, uh, I think on her only, only her second feature. What, how important is diversity for you when you set out to, to make a movie? Well, it's always been, uh, and it's tricky because it's so hard sometimes to be able, especially if you're setting it up with a studio in many, many cases, they, you know, often they'll want, uh, the right, the person they think is right is the person who has the biggest profile, which may not actually be ethnically diverse. Mm -hmm. Uh, but we've tried to follow our heart. And if a story, uh, is a story which is, uh, clearly to be made, uh, by someone other than a white male actor, a white male director, uh, then that's what it should be. Uh, and, uh, so that's, uh, that's always been our, our sort of MO. Does it, does a director have to have a personal connection to the material in order to be a great director for that particular movie? Or if you're just a great director, you can just direct. I do. Uh, I need to have some kind of connection. And I dedicated jewels to my father. Uh, I did a dedicated uh, puzzle to my mother. And I saw things in jewels. Not that my father went through what uh, what Milton went through in this movie, what Sir Ben King, uh, Kingsley went through. My father didn't have uh, early onset uh, dementia. But you, as he got older, I saw him losing some of his faculties and that's the same. And so I was able to connect to that. And then in each of the characters, uh, you find something about yourself or your partner or your children or whatever uh, the case may be. You find things that are truthful. And great writing is specific, as you know, but universal. So my commencement speaker at Bowling Green State University was Fred Rogers. Ah, uh, Mr. Mr. Rogers uh, and yeah. an entire football stadium saying it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. It was a really cool moment. Um, you produced uh, the the biopic about Mr. Rogers called Appropriately Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood with Tom Hanks. Um, when you're making a movie about a real person, is there and especially somebody like Mr. Rogers, who's, you know, this iconic figure and part of so many of our childhoods. Is there an added responsibility when you make a movie like that? That's so smart, Steve. Yeah, there, there is, because it's so easy to get it wrong. Uh, and you never know the truth of anybody's life, right? You can read an IMDb page. You can, you can read a biography. You can read anything you want or a screenplay. And it's only going to be someone's interpretation. Even an, even a, even an autobiography. I, I forget reading somebody's quote recently, which, which I love. And they, she, this, she said, I, I never like reading an autobiography. I want a second opinion. Uh, <laughs> I thought, how smart that is. Because even your memory, even if you intend well, your memory is, is faulty and flawed. So when you make a movie about a real person, we have a real burden. And so I'm, very cautious and rarely will tell a story in which someone is shown in an unflattering light because I don't know the whole, 
I'm, I'll never know the real truth. I'll only have an approximation. So yeah, you have to be super careful. Uh, you were, okay. go ahead, Sue. No, I was going to say that um, you were quoted as saying that every time I cast an actor, there is a birth that occurs. Um, talk to me about that. Well, that I was riffing off of a famous director who I won't name, uh, who said every time I cast an actor, it's like a little death. Mm. And what he was saying is, listen. And I know how those words should be said. I know how that actor should move. I've, I've directing, I either wrote or I'm directing this thing. I know. And so anytime I cast an actor, they're going to be interpreting it in a different way. So it's like a little death. And that's one way of looking at it. I don't subscribe to that. I think that if you work with great actors, if you work with Ben Kingsley and Harriet Hansom and, and, and Zoe Winters and Jane Curtin and, and Jade Kwan, who plays the, the alien in this, who's amazing. If yeah. you work with those kind of actors, they're going to bring in something that I didn't imagine. And often it's going to be far greater than what I experienced or expected to see. So last thing for you here, I, uh, you, you've been the executive producer, you've been the producer, you're sitting in the big, you know, the, the big chair. Uh, then you sit in the big chair as a director and there has to come this moment where you realize, oh, this, this is all here for me to do my work. And I would imagine that the, the pressure ratchets up when you become a director and you walk out on the set for the first time. I don't know if it's pressure. Uh, I try to just, uh, be, uh, where I am, Steve, I don't want to sound too philosophical, but I just try to be where I am and not get ahead of myself. And so you, I think what you do is you just look at that first day's work and say, okay, how are we going to, how are we going to get about getting it done? And so that's, that's the way I try to approach it, not to think through where I'm going to be six months or two weeks later, uh, but just take them one day at a time, one scene at a time. And then the other key is if you're surrounded by a great cinematographer, a great production designer, great costume people, even the hair and makeup, if they all uh, are exceptional, it makes your job so much easier. Mm. Well, a day in, uh, a day at a time, a scene at a time, it absolutely worked. Jules is such a charming, charming movie. Uh, it's going to be out in theaters on Friday, August the 11th with Bleecker Street. Uh, Mark, thanks a lot for doing this, man. We really appreciate it. Uh, thank you, Steve. Thank you, Sue. All right. There you have it. Mark Turtletob. The movie is Jules. By the way, opening in over a thousand theaters on, uh, on August the, do I have that right? August the 11th. Yeah. So that's, I mean, a, that's, that's a big that, release. That is huge, especially for, I mean, a film that's not like a big blockbuster. Yes, you know? exactly. And a film featuring older actors and all that. It's really rewarding. And as Mark said, it is tested, tested really well with audiences of all ages. So go check out Jules. It is opening Friday, August the 11th, everywhere. Uh, don't forget, subscribe to the Culture Pop podcast on Apple and Spotify. Go to YouTube if you're not already. Search Culture Pop Podcast. We will pop right up so you can watch the shows as they happen. And uh, Sue, great seeing you. We will see everybody next time on the Culture Pop Podcast.